Welcome to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley. Today is January 7th, 2024, and we celebrated the baptism of our Lord. We hear from the Reverend Emily Boring, Associate Rector, as she preaches on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. As always, you can learn more and find old sermon archives on our website, allsoulsparish.org. One of my fondest childhood memories is the weekend I got baptized. I was four, and it took place at our local Episcopal church. Family came from out of town, grandparents, godparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and the whole weekend felt like a great celebration. There was laughter and singing, and the grown-ups told stories about their own baptisms. There's a picture of me and two god sisters licking giant cones of rainbow sherbet, just waiting to drip all over my white dress. (laughs) The best part was the baptism itself. On Sunday morning, in the middle of church, in my clothes, I got to go swimming. (laughs) The font was huge, octagonal, many feet taller than me. I'd been told the Holy Spirit lived in there. (laughs) For weeks, I walked by on my tiptoes, trying to catch a glimpse. When the time came, I climbed up the ladder, held my breath, and slid into the water. I shivered, delightfully chilly. I felt awake and alive. I still remember the chant of the congregation as I resurfaced, the cool flow of water as the priest poured cupfuls over my head. After the service, I had just one question. Mama, can I get baptized again next year? (laughs) Why is this memory so strong? What has kept it alive in my heart and my body all these years later? It was a kind of spiritual moment that I've only glimpsed a few other times in my lifetime. A moment that's both simple and whole. I was young. I hadn't yet evolved the voices of self-doubt, critique, shame, or loneliness that later convince us we don't deserve love or belonging. With water and prayer and music, A community of people named my belovedness and held it out for me to see, and I believed them. For a moment through their gaze, I saw myself as God sees me. I really felt the intimate presence of God. What would it look like to live as though you knew you are beloved? What would it mean to behold yourself through the gaze of a creator, a gaze of softness, compassion, and love? What gets in the way of us doing that? What are those voices of guilt, loneliness, shame, suffering, that make you forget that you are beloved, that God is with not just humanity in general, but with you? These are questions I've been asking lately, 
on this other side of Christmas. For the past season, we've been surrounded by reminders of God's intimate coming. We celebrated the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, with candlelight, feasting, and song. Now, we're in January. I don't know about you, but for me, this time of year feels raw and barren. I'm tired. In Advent, the darkness felt fertile, expectant. Now it's still dark, still gray, and we're waiting for what? A new year stretches open full of possibility, but also bringing expectations, unknowns, and fear. It's a time when I feel very far away from the child swimming in the font of love. How do we carry our awareness of God through these barren, harder seasons? What kinds of stories and symbols help us move through these times with courage, strength, and the difficult but most important part, self-compassion and self-love? Today's gospel, the baptism of Jesus, is one of the stories we have to draw on. And I'd argue that Mark's account of Jesus' baptism arises from some of the same questions I've raised today. When reading scripture, I like to imagine each text as a response to a living inquiry. The writer or their community wondered something, needed something, sought to convey something. It's our job as readers to work backwards, to use the clues of the text to investigate and explore what that driving question might have been. And I don't think this passage raises the questions we usually think of, questions of Christology, Trinitarian theology, or ritual practice. If baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Does the voice that calls Jesus son and beloved simply announce what has always been true? Or does it change Jesus somehow? And when we baptize, is the most important thing the water, the Holy Spirit, or both? I think we can find in Mark's passage a much simpler, more familiar and human question. A question about the nature of God's intimate presence among us. Like all gospel writers, Mark was concerned with testifying to the life of Jesus of Nazareth and the effect of that life on the community of people who witnessed and followed. Christianity was new, tenuous, risky. The presence of Jesus was followed by a period of real absence, persecution, and doubt. How do we remember the times when we felt God close among us? How do we share these stories with others so they can feel it too? How do we describe this son of God, this one who is nearly indescribable, in a way that helps us remember when we forget that we are beloved children of God? I think Mark is offering just such a story and his description of Jesus here at this moment of baptism gives us a glimpse of the Son of God that we can carry with us, helping us remember who we are. First, 
Notice how this scene draws our attention immediately to what is physical. At the start of the gospel, we get a brief announcement, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, and then a quote from Isaiah. We start big, zoom in, and before we know it, proclamation and prophecy have pointed us squarely to a person wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey, and talking about sandals. This is a real place, a real river, real bodies moving through space and time and saying things. And then suddenly, amid this human landscape, the line between what's divine and what is earthly collapses for a minute. The heavens are torn apart, and what was up there, the spirit, comes down here, descending like a dove. And the words that are spoken are gentle, tender, and loving. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is a crucial moment in Mark's gospel. This voice from heaven announces Jesus' identity beyond question. From the very beginning, we as readers know what it will take most of the characters, the whole gospel, to realize. Jesus is the Son of God. But I think the quality of this naming is what's most important. Mark wants us to see that God is both cosmic and intimate. God made the heavens, as we heard today in Genesis, but God descends to earth to meet humans in a way that we can receive. And when God does this, God comes to us tenderly as a parent to a child. Notice, too, that the title Son of God is not earned, but given. This is only the 11th verse of the gospel. Nothing has happened yet. Jesus hasn't survived the wilderness, healed anyone, taught parables, or performed any miracles. What did Jesus do? He showed up, and he walked into the water. And just like that, God names Jesus his son, calls him beloved, and expresses God's pleasure. Belovedness is a gift we begin with. All of our later life comes from and leads back to that. Finally, beneath and within the story of Jesus' baptism is another story, one that speaks more directly to our times of emptiness, aloneness, and suffering. Here on the River Jordan, the title Son of God is first given to Jesus, but the people around him don't hear or accept it. In the coming scenes, the only characters who identify Jesus by his name are the demons he drives away until the very end of the gospel. The phrase, Son of God, is spoken aloud again at the scene of the cross. Here, too, there's a tearing, not of the heavens, but of the temple curtain. A Roman centurion, a soldier of empire, calls out, Surely this man was the Son of God. If Jesus' baptism is a celebration of God's presence, this is a moment of seeming absence. Jesus has just uttered his cry of desolation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The name he uses for God here is Eloi, 
not the intimate Abba, father, of earlier, but a more formal and distanced name. Jesus feels as we do the pain of aloneness, the sting of intimacy momentarily withdrawn. This is a cost of being human. There are moments when we feel God fully with us and moments when we don't. We seek the moments of intimacy, we're restless for them, and we feel the distance more keenly because we know what it's like to be held. All of it, Mark shows us, is part of the story. The story that began with a baptism leads to the cross and goes on from there. The title Son of God endures through all of it, reminding us that this bond, this relation of love and intimacy, is always there. In a few moments, we will witness a baptism. Baptism is one of the tools we have as a human community to remember the truths that it's all too easy to forget. You are beloved. God sees and knows you. God wants you to behold yourself with tenderness, compassion, and grace. The waters of baptism become a symbol that links us back to our origin, the waters we came from, the truths we believed before our inner voices and the voices of the world got in the way. The waters wash away our sense of separation, bringing us together and bringing us back to ourselves. So to Julian, the child being baptized, and to the inner child in all of us, I'd offer these promises about the spiritual life you are entering. I can't promise that your baptism means you'll always believe your beloved. There will be times when God feels close to you and times when God seems unbearably distant. There will be times when you celebrate and times when you suffer and mourn. But I can promise that through all of it, we'll be here to remind you. This is what we do for each other as human beings and as a church. When you can't see yourself through the gaze of a loving creator, let us see for you. When you can't hold faith or hope that God is here, we'll hold faith and hope until you are ready again. This is what it means to enter beloved community. Welcome home. <laughs>